A.W. Tozer was a well-known preacher and author in the States uh, back in the 50s. Uh, he's written several books that are pretty well-known in conservative circles. In his book, Whatever Happened to Worship, he, rec- he recounts a, an incident that happened to him. One afternoon, he was sitting on a park bench in Toronto. He's waiting for a friend to arrive. and uh, A man came up to him, a very well-dressed man came up to him and sat down beside Tozer and kind of gave Tozer a bewildered smile as if he may have known Tozer. And Tozer said, do I know you, sir? And the man said, no, I don't think you, you do. He said, something's happened to me. He said, I was hit in the head. And when I awakened... All my ID was gone. And he said, I don't know who I am. And I don't know why I'm here. Just at that moment, another very well-dressed man came running up, calling the lost man by name. And he said, William, William, where have you been? And the lost man said, do you, you know me? He said, of course I know you. Of course I know you. You're our first violinist. You're in the Philadelphia Philharmonic. And you missed the concert. And William said, so that's who I am. And that's why I'm here. There's a reason Tozer uh, shares that incident. And Tozer follows up that story like this. In his book he says, as a result of their willful disobedience, Adam and Eve took a catastrophic fall and received a similar injury. The consequence of the fall was a kind of numbing amnesia. When they tried to shake the fog out of their minds, they realized they no longer knew who they were and why they were alive. They did not know the purpose for their existence. Now, is that not the human race, by and large? By and large, the human race doesn't know why why it exists. But the Gospel clears it up for us, doesn't it? The Bible clears that up for us. Maybe the most oft-repeated verse in uh, this pulpit, Colossians 1.16, we were created by Him and for Him. As we talked about last week, we know... What did we talk about last week? Who's it about? Who's it not about? Does anybody remember? It's not about us, right? It's not about you. You know that. If you're a Bible believer, you not only know that, you believe that. You not only believe that, you live that, right? It's not all about you. It's never been all about you. It'll never be all about you. It's about someone infinitely more interesting than you. I know I say that a lot from this pulpit. But I got it from John 11. I've been saying it ever since I preached through John 11 the first time. It's the truth. We talked a lot about this last week. I quoted Rick Warren. He's not my favorite theologian. Not my favorite preacher. It's not my favorite book. But in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, his opening line was perfect. He said, it's not about you. That's the best opening line I've ever seen in any book. It is not about you. And beloved, I hope if you are a Christian tonight, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, you not only understand that, you embrace that. That's the call in the New Testament. 
Warren wrote in his book, you must begin with God, right? You must begin with your Creator. You exist only because God wills that you exist. You were made by God and for God. Until you understand that, your life will never make sense. Some of you who were converted as adults understand that. Your life makes no sense until you meet Christ Jesus. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Paul says it very clearly in Romans 11.36. We mentioned this last week. This is the whole Bible in one verse. The whole Bible in one verse. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. You get that? For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. That's creation and providence all wrapped up in one verse. For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. It's not about you. We, I'm just covering a little ground for those of you who weren't here last week. Um, it's not about you. It's about Him. That includes everything from the microscopic creature under the rock in the deepest part of the ocean to the uh, rogue asteroid on the far side of the cosmos. And you're in between somewhere. And we understand as Bible believers that it's all for His glory. That includes you, your soul, your life, your body, your sexuality, your singleness, your marriage, your kids, your career, your money, your hobbies, your plans, your dreams, your trials, your pain, your sicknesses, and even your death are all meant to be for the glory of God. If you are a Bible believer, if you are a lover and a disciple of Jesus, you not only understand that, you love that. And so, one thing that God challenges us here in John 11 you know, is that our world view? Is that our heartbeat? Do we understand that everything about us is about Him? Beloved, if we're biblically literate, we should understand this. God says, whatever you do, do for your enjoyment. Right? I think it was different. How did Paul say it? Whatever you do, do what? For the glory of God. So there it is in one verse. Last week we talked a lot about John chapter 11, the first six verses. There were some awesome truths we, we learned there. We'll touch on those just briefly by way of review. I don't mind reviewing in John chapter 11 a little bit simply because you and I need to understand John chapter 11. Yes, there's a lot going on in John chapter 11. But, and we understand that the, the premier lesson here is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We get that. But there's a lot more here. That if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're really going to be sold out disciples, we need to understand a few more things out of John chapter 11. As I told you last week, it's a worldview tutorial. Basically, God is saying, this is how my people are supposed to process life. This is how my people are supposed to interpret events. This is how my people are supposed to think. This is how my people are supposed to live. Always looking for my glory and expecting their joy in my glory. That's what we see in John 11. Glory and joy. 
God's glory, our joy. This is always God's formula for His people. His glory and our joy. We saw Martha, Mary, and sin for Jesus. Lazarus is ill. Remember Jesus last week we saw in verse 5. Jesus loved this family. He loved them. So He ran to Bethany. That's what the text says, right? Wrong. He loved them, so He tarried. We talked a lot about this. How do we understand this? I'm not going to completely redevelop that, but we will touch on that even this evening. Verse 6, He loved them, so He stayed two days longer in the place where He was. We talked a little bit about the Greek last week. Uh, there are two mainline English translations that simply get the translation wrong. They ins- theologic, I think for theologically uh, motivated reasons, they insert the word yet. T- I- the ISV and the NIV actually says um, that Jesus loved them, yet He stayed two days longer. That's, that's just wrong. Uh, I was listening to Piper on this chapter. Piper said, if you've got that version... Get rid of that version. Now, listen, the NIV and the ISV, they do a lot of, they, a lot of their translation is good, but this is horrible. It's not Jesus loved them yet. It's Jesus loved them so. I'm not telling you to get rid of your translation if you have the ISV or the NIV, but mark it out. It's wrong. Jesus loved them so. He, he tarried. And that's what we're going to see tonight. And tomorrow, and pardon me, next week. We're going, to, we're going to come to a full understanding of how that is love. Exactly how that is love. If we think the universe revolves around us, we're never going to understand John 11. We actually can never be a Christian. If you think the world revolves around you, you can't be a Christian. You just can't go with Jesus. You have to understand it is all about Him. So please hear what God is saying to us and teaching us in this text. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so He allowed them to pass through a very difficult and sorrowful trial. Now wait a minute. Doesn't God want us to be happy? Doesn't God want us to have temporal pleasure? Doesn't God want things to to go well for us in, in, in this life? What I want to say to you, beloved, is not preeminently. That is not God's preeminent goal. To contradict the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which I'm always happy to contradict because it's heresy. It's a false gospel. It's a pseudo-gospel. God's paramount goal is to give His, Himself to His people. That's, God's, that's, that's always God's paramount, paramount goal. Not our health, wealth, and prosperity, our ease and comfort. That's never God's preeminent goal. God's preeminent goal is to give us Himself. In this text, we learn it's more loving to let someone die than to withhold a deeper revelation of God. Beloved, you have to be God-centered to understand this passage. You have to be so in love with God. You have to be so in love with Christ or you cannot understand this passage. As I said last week, you know, the world can't understand it. Religious people can't understand it. Only born-again believers and lovers of Christ can understand it. 
There are millions of people in the, in the so-called Christian church who ne- cannot understand John 11 because they've not really ever given themselves fully away to Jesus. They don't really love Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So they don't understand John 11. They think it's all about them. The cross is all about them. Beloved, the cross is about God. And He's saving you through it. But it is for His glory, preeminently, beloved. It is for His glory. God says it's more loving to let someone die than to deny you a fuller revelation of Myself. Some of you probably don't yet believe that. I pray that if you'll get really deep into John 11, you will come to understand and believe it. So what's the the highest goal of divine love? I'll say it one more time. That you would have a deeper revelation of Christ. Sometimes that happens in blessing, but most often it happens in trial. Amen? All we have to do is read our Bibles. You know, if you thought it was about comfort and ease and health and wealth and prosperity, if you thought that that was the definition of divine love, then God hated the Apostle Paul. Paul had tremendous trial and persecution in his life. And God just keeps coming to him. He just keeps coming to him. Just keeps revealing himself to him. This is love. This is divine love. God gives us a deeper, fuller, more profound revelation of Himself. Beloved, you know this. I've shared this with you many times. The human soul was designed to feast upon God. (laughs) And as Piper says, and you're trying to fill your soul with television! Right? And Facebook! And the internet! And movies! And fashion! And career! And family! And kids! And you can't fill your soul and heart. with any of those things. Not that any of those things are inherently bad. But you must have God. This is why this is love. Jesus is going to give Martha and Mary and Lazarus a a view of God they could have never imagined. And He's going to do the same thing for His disciples in the midst of this trial. It's not about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It's about what God wants to do in and through Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Namely, to give them a far deeper and grander revelation of Himself. And here's the beautiful and compelling theology lesson we we touched on last week. God is always pursuing His glory. And in the pursuit of His glory, God is always bringing His people joy. This is one pursuit of God. It's not two pursuits. It's one pursuit. The pursuit of your joy in Christ is It's the preeminent pursuit of God because His glory is His preeminent pursuit which is your preeminent joy. (laughs) That may be a little confusing, but what my my point I'm trying to make here is with all His omnipotence, God is is bringing you joy. And even if it comes through trial, which we're going to see on the pages of Scripture tonight, He's bringing His people joy. I love this text. I could preach this text, I think, almost every Sunday and never grow weary of it. God's pursuit of His glory is His pursuit of the believer's joy. Verses 7-10, through 10, you've heard the text read. I won't reread it. 
But Jesus said, let's go back to Judea. The disciples are not jazzed. Why are they not jazzed about going back to Judea? Because the, the, the Jewish leaders are trying to kill Jesus. And then Jesus tells a, or inserts a short parable here. It's a little bit confusing and hard to understand, but let me just tell you, the, the 12 hours in a day is the lifespan that God meets out to every human being. It's our, our day that we walk in. This is just a metaphor. It's, it's, it's the lifespan that God meets out to every human being. You know what the Bible says, right, beloved? You've got to be scared all the time because you never know when you might die. You've got to be afraid. You can't live faith. Something bad might happen. You can't go, you can't go to, to Saudi Arabia and preach the Gospel. You might get killed. I mean, if we understand our Bibles, we understand from the Psalms that our days are what? Ordained. Beloved, you can't die one second sooner or one second later than God decided in eternity past. This should make... And this is what Jesus is saying to His guys. There's 12 hours in a day. Buck up, boys. Live it. Go live your 12 hours. Don't live afraid. Of course I'm going to Jerusalem. His hour had not yet come. I've got my 12 hours. Beloved, this is, a, this is a picture of God's sovereignty. I'm trying to say to you, you can live your Christianity huge because your God is God. <laughs> and He's sovereign. And your life is already, your, your days are ordained. You don't have to be in fear. You don't have to be in fear as the world is in fear. If God is for us, someone tell me, this is what Jesus is saying. Buck up, boys. Was he saying in verse 10? He's saying, anyone who doesn't walk by the light of God, doesn't walk with, uh, by the Word of God, doesn't trust in the Word of God, he is walking according to his own understanding and not according to God's will. He is the man who will stumble and fall. But Jesus says, we're not like that. Let's go. Verses 11 through 16, Jesus begins to explain about why He's going back to Judah. And I want us to see this and understand this. Why has Jesus chosen this moment to return to Judah? Yes, He's going back because Lazarus has died. And Jesus has something very special in mind for Lazarus. And it's going to be an awesome thing. He's going to Judah to glorify Himself. He said that. This is verse 4. If you go back to verse 4, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. He's going back for the glory of God. And in doing so, He is going to minister to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. But what I want you to see is He's also ministering to the disciples here. And ultimately, He's ministering to you and me. I want you to see that Jesus is going to use the trial of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus to blow His disciples away. And Lord willing, to blow you away. Do you see, you're starting to see why this is love? You're starting to see why this is love? In going back to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, look what He says here. Look at what He says here in verse 15. Jesus says, 
Verse 14, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes. What? Jesus says, I'm glad for your sake. I'm glad that these people I love more than I can tell you have gone through this trial because you're going to believe. You're going to believe through this trial. You're going to believe because of what I'm going to do in this trial. Beloved, this is one reason God sends trials into our lives, that He might be glorified and that those around you might believe that He is God. This is what Jesus is doing here. Jesus says, I'm glad you could actually translate it rejoice. Jesus says, I rejoice for you because you're really going to believe like you've never believed. You see how it's love? So here's my point. God is always doing a billion things at once. And what He is doing in my life, He is, by doing that in my life, doing something in your life because you're supposed to read God off my life. And if you're not reading God off my life, (laughs) challenge me on it. Challenge me on it. I claim to be a Christian. I claim to love Jesus. I claim to be a disciple. You're supposed to read God off my life. And you're supposed to believe more because of the way I live. Oh, and guess what? I'm supposed to believe more because of the way you live. And if I'm not reading God off your life, if I love you, I'll challenge you. This is something I I think it's beautiful for us to see. And as a Christian, whether in the midst of a great trial or a great blessing, the glory of God should be visible. It should be the the ambiance. It should be the aroma of our life. The glory of God. Are there people around you who will believe because of your words and deeds as you go through the trial? <laughs> can, God, can God use your trial to convert someone? Now we understand there's a level of belief among the disciples already. We get that. But Jesus says you're going to believe like you've never believed before because what I do through them. So is your life available to be used of God? Are you available to say, Lord, send the trial if you need to convert my spouse? You need to convert my children. You need to convert my coworker. You need to convert my neighbor. Are you available? Are you available for that kind of evangelism? That's serious evangelism, beloved. You know, it's not this goofy stuff that many in the modern church do. This is real evangelism, lifestyle. That's real evangelism, lifestyle. And God gets into the life of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He's going to glorify Himself and people will believe. So that's my point. I hope you understand. Next time the trial comes, I hope you're thinking about it. Who's God going to convert through this trial? My trial. Is there someone around me that God may desire to convert. Verse 16, Thomas says, let's go die with him. Just as a sidebar, we understand that of the 11 faithful disciples, all but John will be martyred. And Thomas, church history tells us, went to India 
He preached the Gospel there and He was run through with a spear. So He will die for Christ. Verse 17 uh, and following. I won't read the text. We learn Lazarus was in the grave for four days. This is noteworthy for several reasons. One is, uh, the, the Jews had a superstition and they held that the Spirit would hover over the body for three days. So Jesus mindful of this. He doesn't show up until after Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. The Jews did not embalm. Uh, the body would immediately be buried and decomposition would have already begun in earnest. So, why is this important? There will be no viable accusation of resuscitation. This is not a resuscitation. This is a resurrection. This is a creation and resurrection. That's why that's important. Martha comes to him, verse 20, comes out to meet Jesus. No doubt she'd been expecting him for the last five, six days. In effect, she says to, to, to Jesus, You're late. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Shorthand. Where were you? Why didn't you show up, God? Why didn't you show up and do what I wanted you to do? I see this spirit of prayer many times in many places. You're late, God. I'm not going to be too hard on her. But this is the backhanded accusation. You're late, God. Beloved, don't ever think that. Certainly don't ever say that. And when you find someone who's in a hard spot and they're thinking that God has abandoned them and God is late, counsel them. We should never have these unworthy thoughts of God. And again, I don't want to be too hard on her, but I just want to make the point of the low view of God that permeates much of the modern church. It's a, it's a non-biblical, sub-Christian view that God is pathetic, frustrated, and impotent. And beloved, that's not the God of the Bible. He is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-compassionate, all-sovereign God. I think you heard me pray in my prayer. There's not one rogue molecule in all the universe. God says in Isaiah 46, I am God. There is no one like Me. I declare the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all My good pleasure. He's God. He's never late. He's always right on time. Amen? Don't you doubt Him. Don't you get impatient with Him. You just look at Him and you trust Him. This is what disciples do. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard. But this is what true believers do. They believe through the hard thing. And we certainly don't accuse God of being late. The problem is not that God is late. The problem is we don't trust Him. That's the problem. It's never, the, it's never that God is late. The problem is we don't really trust Him and we don't really want His purposes in our life. We want our purposes. I don't want the cancer. I don't want that. I don't want the unemployment. I don't want that. Remember we talked about it last week? Jesus said, the sickness is for the glory of God. And I challenge you. Is that your first thought? 
when you get seriously ill? Is that your first thought? Is it your second thought, third thought, fourth thought, fifth thought, sixth thought? This is for the glory of God? Do you ever think it? Or are you just looking in the mirror? Beloved, this is biblical thinking. This is biblical thinking. Not only is Jesus not late, I want you to understand, not only is He not late, He's going to answer the prayer better than they could have ever imagined. Yes? It's not just a healing. It's a resurrection. Awesome stuff, right? And I have to tell you, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. And uh, next year, 30 years next year, He always answers better than we ask. If we'll just be patient and wait. God always answers better than we ask. She expresses her faith even now. She says, I know whatever you ask of God, He will give to you. That's a great confession of faith. Jesus says, your brother shall rise. And Martha acknowledges the, the widely held Jewish belief in a general resurrection as prophesied in Daniel. But I want you to notice, Jesus is going to take her deeper and give her more. I love this. He's going to take her deeper. He says, you know, he's not, he says, I'm not talking about the Daniel thing. I'm talking about your brother. I'm going to bring him out. And it's going to be a foreshadowing of what I'm going to do for all my people on the last day. I'm here to show you the resurrection. I'm here to show you my power. I'm here to show you what it means to believe in me. He's taking her deeper. Beloved, this is what God is always doing in our lives. If we're paying any attention at all. He's always going to take you deeper, man. He's not going to let you stay where you are. You know, you may want to stay where you are. You might be in a nice shady spot and you like it, spiritually speaking. He's not going to leave you there. He's going to take you to a deeper place. He always does this. This is love. He always does this. So don't get comfortable. You can't get comfortable with the Lord. He's always moving. You always got to push the envelope with God. You always got to push the envelope. Always. In every sphere of your life, push the envelope with God. Never stop pushing the envelope. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I destroy death's power. He says, do you believe this? This is the question He asks every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Martha says, yes. I believe. I believe it, Lord. So let me just stop and ask you. Do you really believe it? Or have you been merely religious your whole life? Do you believe it in such a way that you're a disciple out there? You know, if you don't believe it in such a way that you're a disciple out there, you've not believed it yet. We spent almost all year talking about true conversion and discipleship. Salvation is discipleship. Discipleship is salvation. It's always this way in the Bible. I know most denominations dumb it down, water it down, turn it into a formula. It's not a formula, beloved. My sheep hear me. My sheep know my voice. My sheep follow me. It's not rocket science. Have you professed faith in Jesus Christ and have you followed Him in believer's baptism? These are the first steps of understanding who you are and why you you're here. 
Verse 28 to 32, Mary comes to Jesus. And she says the exact same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Kind of another backhanded accusation. God, where were you? Oops! Did God drop the ball? As we mentioned earlier, and as we will see next week, Jesus' delay was on purpose. He's doing a mighty work here in the midst of this trial and in the midst of this family. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so He tarried two days. His delay was about God. His delay was about God's glory. His delay was about His people's joy. And we're going to see it next week. We're not going to see it this week. But we're going to see unbelievable joy, are we not? Beloved, I challenged you last week. Are you a Christian? Expect to see the glory of God. Expect to feel the joy of God. If you're merely religious, you have no expectation that this will ever be part of your life. But if you're a true disciple, you have every reason to expect that you will soon see the glory of God in your life and you will feel the joy of God in your life. But what I love about here, what I love about here about this text here, it's not just what he's going to do in Martha and Mary's life, it's what he's going to do in the disciples' life, as we mentioned. Oh, guess what? It's also what he's going to do in the witnesses' life. There are many witnesses here. This was obviously a prominent family. Many, many uh, of the Jewish leaders and prominent people of Jerusalem have come the two miles out uh, to to mourn with this family. It's what Jesus wants to do in, in the witness's life. Oh, it's what He wants to do in your life and my life. Oh, guess what? It's what He wants to do in, in uh, people from every nation, tongue, and tribe that they might believe He is the Son of God. That they might believe Him through this miracle. Are you starting to see the love of God? Do you see the love of God? Do you see how important it is that we defer to God's sovereign timing in our life? And we stop demanding God to perform at, at our request and on our timetable? Do you see what God has in mind? He has infinitely more in mind than you and I can ever imagine. Beloved, we need to think like this. This is biblical thinking. This is how believers think. Biblically informed believers. This is how we're supposed to think. He's going to save His elect from the, every corner of the globe through this account which will be recorded in the Word of God. Do you see how this is love? Are you available to be used like that? Is your life available to be used by God like that? This is big stuff. I love this stuff. <laughs> this is why it doesn't matter who you are as a Christian. Your life ripples eternity, man. It echoes to the far side of eternity because God's at work in your life. You're not going to end up in the Bible. You've already missed that. That gigs up. <laughs> but for all eternity, for all eternity, people will be sitting under trees and on the new heaven and new earth. Man, I remember when Josh did that thing. That was awesome. When he and Mike went off, they did that stuff. It was awesome. I mean, we'll tell stories. Not for our own glory, but for the glory of God and all that God has done through us. I look forward to it. 
Do you see how far-reaching God's timing is in, the, in, in, in our lives? And how we must rest in God's sovereign timing. Do you see that it's not about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus? Do you see that it's all about God, His purposes, and His glory? It's about what He wants to do in their lives. It's about what He wants to do in the lives of those around them. He's going to give them a life-changing glimpse of His Godness. And this is what God does to His people when they're in trial. He comes to them and He gives Himself to them on a level that they have heretofore not yet experienced. This is what He does. God's pursuit of His glory is the pursuit of His people's joy. I want you to notice that the bookends of our sermon tonight is it's love. Verses 5 uh, verse 5 and 6, Jesus loved them. Then we're going to see here at the end of the text, verses 33 to 36, how Jesus loved Lazarus. John 11, it's about the love of God. It's about the glory of God. It's about the joy of the people of God. It's one of the best, well, it's one of the greatest texts in the Bible, in my view. Verse 33 and 36. I think sometimes, I know I do, maybe you do, I sometimes forget that Jesus is 100% man. I most often focus on His deity. He is a man. And He weeps for Lazarus. Next time you're standing by that hole in the ground, in that mound of dirt, and you're burying someone you love, you know that Jesus has stood there too. And He has felt what you are feeling. The text says that He was deeply moved in His spirit and He wept. Of course He knows He's about to raise Lazarus. But this is the... Yeah. It makes you crazy. The, the whole complexity of the incarnation and the God-man thing. He's 100% God, 100% man. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. It's just a biblical truth. He weeps. And then He's going to unleash divine power and raise Him. Again, the complexity. The complexity of Jesus Christ. And look at the, 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 uh, the Jews said, Oh, look how He loved them. Look how He loved Lazarus. Look how He weeps. Oh, He loved them so much. And what I want to say to you, the fact that He shed a few tears is not the measure of His love. What will be the measure of Jesus' love? He will shed His blood in about three or four days. That will be the measure of His love. Not His tears, but His blood. I love John 11. They said, oh, see how He loved Him. They haven't seen anything yet. They haven't seen anything yet. Most of mankind and even much of modern Christendom. They're like that man who sat on that bench next to A.W. Tozer in Toronto. They don't really know why they're here. And they don't really know what they're supposed to be doing. Beloved, if you'll just get into this, if you'll give, give yourself to this, give yourself to the Lord, you'll understand why you're here. <laughs> There'll be no confusion. You'll know exactly why you're here. There'll be no confusion. You're here for the glory of God. Just like Jesus says in John 11, you're here for the glory of God. And what happens when you live for the glory of God? Someone tell me. What happens when you live for the glory of God? Someone tell me. 
we get the joy of God. He gets the glory and we get the joy. Life makes no sense till we understand John 11, really. So what is God's purpose in your life? That you might live for His glory. So I'm going to say to the unbeliever, or someone who's, who's, who's never made a profession of faith in Christ, I'll just speak to you first. What does it look like to, to live for the glory of God? It looks, like, it looks like Martha's confession. Do you believe? And do you believe in such, not in some religious way, not in some just simply mental way, do you believe in such a way that you'll go out there and live in such a way that men are convinced you believe? That's biblical Christianity, beloved. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you followed Him in believer's baptism? And will you allow Christ to be glorified in your life? And I say to the believer, to the Christian here tonight, I want to say you are called to live differently than the world. You can't live like the world. Don't call yourself a Christian and live like the world. If you're friends with the world, what does God say? You're my enemy. So don't call yourself a Christian and live like the world. Beloved, don't do it. Don't do it. We are called to live differently. We are called to walk with God. And I shared it with you last week and I'm done. What's the short answer to live to the glory of God? That you would live in such a way that God is made famous. And in the things that you do, God is made famous. And the things that you won't do, God is made famous. Jesus is renowned. Jesus is made a celebrity. Jesus has notoriety. Jesus um, is, is of repute in your orbit because of how you live and how you speak and how you act and how you don't act. That's how we live to the glory of God. So I challenge you, Christian, go live these very, very, very few moments that you have on this planet. and Live them for the glory of God. If you will, <laughs> He's going to blow up your heart. He'll blow up your heart with joy, beloved. He'll blow up your heart. I hope you can be here next week. We're going to see the end of the story. You know the end of the story. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. He's going to blow up their hearts. This is what He does. He blows up His people's hearts with an inexpressible joy. Go out there and live it. Go out there and bring glory to your Creator and your Redeemer. Let's pray together. What an awesome God. Lord, what an awesome God. I'm filled with awe and wonder. Forgive us, Father, when we have doubted You, when we have grown impatient with You, when we think it's all about us. Forgive us, Lord. It's not only blasphemous, it's pathetic. We should know it's about You if we've even cracked the Bible. We know it's about You. We know it's about You. Lord, I pray that each one of us in here would love You so much. We would... Give our lives away to You in such a way that we'd be completely and utterly available. Our life is utterly available that You might be glorified in it. All that we do, all that we say, even in our trials, Lord, 
That we submit to Your sovereign providence. That we're willing to be used in a hard trial that You might convert others around us as we hold to You and trust You and praise You and worship You and adore You in the hard thing. Believing that glory and joy are coming. Glory and joy are always coming. Lord, I pray that this would be the aroma of our lives. What a great Gospel. What a great God. What a great account. You are the resurrection and the life. You are our great God and Creator. You are our great Redeemer. We give all glory and honor and praise to Your matchless name. Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.